trouble concentrating during the announcements because it sounded like Alvin and the Chipmunks pretty much was doing the announcements. Yeah, if you didn't hear anything that was going on, make sure you check the app or the website for all the information on different events and how to get connected. If there's some of you who are, are looking to get baptized here in, in a few weeks, we'd love to celebrate with you. We always enjoy those times. Man, I'm excited to continue our Christmas series today. If you weren't here last week, uh, what we're doing, doing during this Christmas series is we're looking at uh, one of the most famous prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah. It was given over 700 years before Jesus would even step foot onto the earth, found in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, and it says these words. It says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. How many of you uh, can think back to maybe when you were younger or maybe even now, you can remember like a nickname that you were called. Is there any of you that, that had like a nickname growing up? Maybe when you were like a child. And here's the thing about nicknames. You don't, you don't get to pick your own nickname. How many of you understand? Like you, you can't. You can try to pick your own nickname, but that's just weird. If you pick your own nickname and you're like, "I want you to call me this," like what, there was a time in my life when I wanted my nickname to be Insano Defreno. Um, it never really caught on. It, it kind of like I look back now, it's kind of embarrassing. But but that's what I wanted to be called. It just didn't. It didn't work out. It was kind of weird that that was what I what I chose. But when you're young, you get nicknames like maybe your kids when they were born, you called them certain things like Peanut or, or Princess. We call our youngest Wreck-It Ralph because he is a constant ball of destruction, right? Like that's just his nickname now. You guys maybe understand that. If you have a kid that's like that, you, you have like names for your kids or, or maybe it's a name that you earned through reputation or through something you've done and it became like your nickname or, or maybe you played sports. How many of you played sports and your nickname was just like your last name? You didn't even have a first name anymore. You were simply called your last name. Everywhere you wanted was just like, yo, Dufresne, or whatever your last name was. It was just kind of your nickname. Well, I was thinking about this, and I, I was remembering back to a time, I think it was my senior year of high school, where, where I, I earned a new nickname that I didn't really choose for myself at that time. And just to give you a little bit of context, um, Back in that time, it was about 2001 is when I graduated high school. And, and at that time, it was really, really popular to kind of like bleach your hair. 
Anybody remember that? Like it was kind of popular to bleach your hair blonde, make it really, or like just kind of do the tips blonde or just bleach your whole hair blonde or whatever. And so I was kind of following along with the trend. I was like, I'm going to be part of this trend as well. And so I'm going to get my hair bleached. And so I was like, I, I, one of my friends from church, I was like, I'm going to have his, his mom do it. She offered to bleach my hair for me. Uh, on a side note, this, this friend, his name was Nate, but he had a nickname that we called him his entire life. And his nickname was was Whitey. And I don't know where he got that nickname from. Uh, it wasn't because he was white, uh, but it was like his nickname. And we just kind of knew him as that his whole life. That's just who we called him. And he was, he was a strange kid, but he was one of my best friends growing up. And so Whitey's mom decided that she was going to bleach my hair for me. And, and so I got the products and did all the things. And we were kind of doing the whole bleaching of the hair. My head was going to be completely blonde. And uh, I can remember about like a little bit into it. She was like, this is taking too long. We need to speed up the process. And so she got like a plastic grocery bag and put it over my hair, right? Like put it over my head. And then she got the blow dryer out. And she starts blow drying the bleach in my hair, thinking it's going to make this process go quicker. Well, a few minutes into that, I started to feel something that wasn't right. Like I started to feel like my head was burning in the back. I'm like, is this supposed to burn? Because I feel like my head is burning right now. And she's like, yeah, that's fine. I was like, no, no, it's really, really, really burning. We need to get this off really quick. And so she takes the bag off and she washes the stuff out. She was like, it's fine. Your hair is not on fire. Everything is fine. It's not as blonde as you probably wanted it because we took it off sooner. But there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. Your hair was not on fire. You're fine. I was like, well, that's fine. This is good enough, right? Like this is like orange. It's not blonde, but whatever. We're going to just embrace it. Well, like a month later, uh, I was going to get my hair cut, and the lady who was cutting my hair, uh, she was like kind of working on the back, and she was like, hey, do you, you know you, you have like a bald spot back here? And I was like, I've never had a bald spot in the back of my head before. She's like, yeah, you got like a spot, like here, feel right here. And I was like feeling, I was like, yeah, it feels a little different there. It's like a little, yeah, she's like, it's like missing a lot of hair there. And I'm like, really? And so I go home and I like reach to the back of my hair where it was. And I, I just like kind of grabbed where, where I felt that. And I pulled, and I pulled like a large chunk of hair out of the back of my head. And I'm like, what is going on, right? Like in that moment, like what is going on? And I started, like I couldn't stop pulling because I was like, where does this stop, right? And all, by the time I was done, I had like a legit, completely bald spot on the back of my head that was like a quarter to like a half a dollar size, like a major bald spot. And so for the rest of my senior year of high school, when I walked through the halls of school, my nickname at that time was Spot. That was like I was a, I turned into a puppy. Hey, spot, right? And I knew right away that they were making fun of my bald spot and they were yelling to me. And so I just embraced it because when people are making fun of you, the best thing to do is just kind of embrace it. It takes the power away from them. So I just embraced it. I was spot for the rest of the year. And fortunately, the hair did grow back eventually, uh, or I would have had a great story uh, when I was trying to pick up my wife Tiffany about my bald spot. But like, this is just the reality of my life for my senior year. And so when we look at these names that we're talking about in Isaiah, we said this last week, that these names are not the actual names of Jesus. It's not like Jesus went around and they were like, hey, Mr. Wonderful Counselor, like it's so good to meet. It was not his actual names, but these are more like powerful nicknames that, that he was given to describe who he was going to be. These were, were names that pointed to his attributes and to the way that he wanted to relate to us as his Creation, And so we're exploring these words during this series. Last week we talked about Jesus being our wonderful counselor. And what does that mean for us? That Jesus is somebody just like a counselor who knows us, who, who we can talk to, who we can be real with, who we can be open with because he knows everything about us. He knows our pains. He knows the things in our lives that are broken. He knows everything. But the thing about our wonderful counselor is not only does he know us, he actually knows how to fix what is broken in our lives as well. He is full of wisdom. 
and, and, and advice, and he knows how to perfectly fix everything that is broken in our lives. But we said last week this, we said God can't heal what we do not reveal. Like there's times in our lives where we just have to be real with, with our brokenness. We have to be open with what's going on in our lives. We can't try to hide it from God because until we reveal it to him, until we open it up to him, until we are honest with our brokenness, we can't experience healing. And so we need to, to bring all of our brokenness to our wonderful counselor. Now, this morning we're going to look at the next two titles and then on Christmas Eve, on Friday night, we're going to look at the last one that he's the Prince of Peace. And so I would encourage you, as you might have heard in the announcements, to grab some invite cards to invite your friends and family. Uh, services are at 3 and 5 on, uh, on Friday night. If, if they're going through something in their life, we're going to talk about the Prince of Peace. Maybe they need some peace. And so I would encourage you, invite some friends that night as we celebrate, do some candle lighting and celebrate Jesus coming to be our Prince of Peace. But this morning, like I said, we're going to look at those two middle ones, almost like two mini sermons. But if you've been here before, you know that nothing that I ever do when it comes to preaching is mini. Um, and so now this is the second service. So we can actually preach just two full-length sermons. If you just start walking out, I'll know that it's been too long. Um, but we're going to look at these two titles, and I'm joking, we're going to do it as quick as we possibly can, but we're going to explore what these two titles mean for Jesus. And the first one we're going to look at is, He came to be our mighty God. Uh, that word mighty God comes from the Hebrew phrase, which is El Gabor. Can you say that with me? El Gabor. I like the more participation at 11 o'clock. You're more awake, you've had your coffee. El Gabor, which is the word El, which is God, and Gabor, which means strength or power or hero. It's saying that Jesus came not just as a man, that Jesus came to be the almighty, all-powerful God. There is many people throughout history who have said Jesus is not God. He was just a human. He was just a really good teacher. or He was just a prophet. Or, or he was just a guy who lived a really moral life and taught us how to live really good moral lives. And, and, and that's just not true. Even Jesus claimed about himself that he was God, that he was the Son of God. You have to understand that Jesus is not just a man, but that he is God in flesh. God who's come to meet with us, to step down out of divinity and put on humanity to change this world from the inside out. He's the almighty God in flesh. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, it says, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory in the exact expression of his nature. Sustaining all things by his powerful word, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. When we look at Jesus, when we read about Jesus, when we see how Jesus interacted with people, loved people, cared about people, we see the very nature of God. That's what he's saying. He's the, he's the radiance of God's glory. He is the, the representation of God's nature. When you see Jesus, you understand God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says this. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. And he existed before anything was created, and he's supreme over all creation. That for through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms, rulers, authorities, and the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Jesus is our mighty God. Jesus is our mighty God. There are some words that, that are used to explain the powerful nature 
of God. Words like this, omniscient, which means all-knowing. That, that, that he knows everything, that there is nothing that is hidden from him. There's no wisdom that is outside of him where our, lim, our, our knowledge is limited. What we know is limited. God is not bound by those same, same things. He knows everything. There's another one where it says he's omnipresent, which means he is everywhere at all times. And he's not bound to time and space the way that we are. He exists behind, beyond any of those things. He's, he's not held to the same restrictions that we do. Why? Because he is the almighty, all-powerful God. And then there's another one which speaks to his power, and that is that he is omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful, that God can do anything, that there's nothing that is too big or too hard for God. When we look throughout the Bible, we see that Jesus is the all-powerful God. When you look and think about his life here on earth, when you read about his miracles, when you read about the things that, you, that he did and the way he lived his life, you'll see this constant theme that he has power over everything. Think about his life. We see in his life and in his miracles, he had power over nature. Right? Like there is a, a story in the Bible where you see and read about Jesus walking on water. He, he, he water skied without the water skis in the boat. I mean, he literally walked across the water. They're in the midst of this storm. The storm is freaking out the disciples. They think they're going to die. He walks across the water. He looks at the storm, and what does he say? Be quiet. And the, and the storm just calms down. He had power over nature itself. The wind and the waves obeyed him. He had power over, over, over things that were not possible naturally. Multiple times we see him feeding multitudes, thousands and thousands of people with a small amount of food and multiplying it supernaturally to feed people and to take care of people. You see this constant theme that he was not bound to the rules of nature the way a regular person is because he is God Almighty. He had power over nature. Not only that, he had power over disease. Blind people would see when they came into contact with him. The deaf would hear. Crippled people could walk. People who had diseases that, that made them untouchable, unapproachable. People wouldn't want to be around them at all. They literally would have to walk around saying, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. People who were, who were lepers, who had leprosy, and they were outcasts in society, and nobody else wanted anything to do with them. And Jesus wasn't afraid of them at all. He walked up to them, embraced them, touched them, healed them. He wasn't worried about their sickness rubbing off on him because he is power over all of disease. Every sickness bows to him. Not only did he have power over nature and disease, he had powers over demons, the demonic. That people who were overwhelmed and overcome under the power of demonic spirits, when he would show up onto the scene, he would just speak and the demons would flee. They knew exactly who he was. There was times that he commanded them not to, not to even speak of who he was. He had power over everything, including the demonic as well. He had power over even sin. Not only did he have the power to heal, but there was times where he literally told people, go and sin no more, you're forgiven for your sins. There was this one situation where a man who was paralyzed, his four friends bring him to Jesus and they lower him down in front of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders are like, who has the power to forgive sins but God himself? And Jesus is like, yeah, I think you're catching on now. But just so you understand that I am who I say I am, not only am I going to forgive his sins, but I'm also going to heal him. And he says, so son, get up and walk. And the man walked out of there with his mat, forgiven from his spiritual brokenness. His sins have been forgiven, but also forgiven from his physical infirmities as well. Why? Because Jesus is the all-powerful God. And, and, and even more than that, we see that he had power over even death itself. Death is the great equalizer. So one thing that we try to, to avoid, we try to live our lives in a way to avoid at all costs. And it's the one thing that every single one of us will experience at some point in our lives. They say, what are the two things that are guaranteed? Death and what? Taxes. Yeah. 
Death and taxes are two things that every single person is guaranteed to experience in their life. We see with Jesus that he had power over death itself multiple times throughout his life. He healed somebody who was dead. Jairus' daughter was dead, brought her back to life. We think about Lazarus, and we've read that story before, that Lazarus was dead. He wasn't just slightly dead. He was dead, dead. The Bible said that he had been dead for multiple days, that they put him in the tomb, and they said, don't open the tomb. He stinks. In the King James Version, it says he stinketh, that he was stinketh dead, if you're wondering, right? Like he is so dead that it would be impossible to be brought to life. And Jesus goes to the tomb, and he has it opened up and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And most people believe the reason he called him by name is if he wouldn't have said that and he would have just said, come out, every dead person that would have been within his voice would have walked out of the grave because he has power over death itself. And the greatest miracle that shows his almighty power is when he overcame death himself. When we look at the grave and we look at the cross and we see him rising from the dead, we see the ultimate display of his almighty power. He is more powerful than anything. The Bible says in John 10, 18, no one can take my life from me. Jesus says, I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want, and I can take it up again too, for this is what my Father has commanded. Just imagine that. Somebody who says, listen, I can die and I can come back. I have the power to do that. If that person says that and doesn't do it, it discredits everything else they say. But if a person says they can die and come back to, the, come back to life, and they actually do it, and they actually have that power over even death. It says, how many of you understand that's a person that's worthy of following and listening to? He is all powerful. Jesus is our, our mighty God. And I think it's impossible, honestly, if you were to read through the Gospels and actually read through what Jesus has done and you understand who Jesus was and you see how he lived his life, it's impossible to read through that and, and know and understand that about Jesus and, and see the way he lived his life and, and not admit that his life was supernatural and not admit that he had power that was different than any other human because he was the Almighty God. But what does that actually mean for us today? Like, what does that mean for you and I over 2,000 years later? Because when I look at these phrases, I think it's important to understand two things. Number one, I think these phrases are descriptive. The purpose of these phrases, wonderful God, uh, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, they're made to explain to us who Jesus is. They're made to show us his characteristics, to, to describe who he is. But even more than that, I believe that they are also how God wants us to experience him. Like it's not just to be an, an, exp an explanation of who he is, but it's how he wants us to experience him. He wants to be our mighty, our wonderful counselor. He wants to be mighty God in our lives. He wants to be our perfect everlasting father. He wants to bring peace into our lives. He wants us to experience him for who he is and who he came to be. And so how many of you would be honest today in your lives and you would say that there's some areas in your life where you need to experience God's power? How many of you would be honest and say, there's some areas where, where I, there's an, a situation in my life, there's some things in my life that I need to, to experience Jesus as the mighty God. I need to experience his power. I know for a fact that there's many of us who come into church on a Sunday morning and we got some problems. Maybe we don't like to admit it. We like to pretend like everything is fine. We like to pretend that, that everything is fine in our lives and there's nothing going on and there's no issues. But the truth is, if we were to be honest with ourselves, there'd be times where we have to admit that there's some brokenness in our lives. Maybe you came in here today and there's some issues in your marriage. Because we don't all have perfect marriages, do we? There's times where there's been fighting and bickering. Maybe you're, you're just in a season where it's just been really difficult. Maybe you're at the end of your rope. Maybe you're, you just feel like your marriage is beyond repair and you're, you're thinking about giving up and you're just like, I just... I just need God's touch. I need him to come and do a work. I know I can't fix it. 
Maybe it was a, a job situation. Maybe you've recently been let go from your job and you're looking at your bills and your finances and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to pay for anything. I don't know how we're going to make it. I don't know how this is going to happen. Or maybe you have your own business and things are not going well and you just, did I make a mistake starting this business and how are we going to survive? And you're kind of at the end of your rope and you don't know what to do. Or, or maybe it's a family relationship. Maybe you're, you're kind of separated from your parents and there's some division there or, or maybe even with your kids and there's some brokenness between you and your kids and there's some, there's some division there and, and you don't understand how you got there. You don't understand how to fix it and you just feel the weight of that or, or maybe it's a health issue and you went to the doctor and you recently got a report that is, that is not really what you were hoping for and you feel the weight of that and the, the uncertainty of it all and you just need to experience his power. And maybe it's none of those things and it's something completely different, but it's just an area where you know that there's nothing you could do to fix it, that you don't have the strength that you need and you need to experience the mighty power of the mighty God. So here's the thing, I, I think we need to understand the same mighty God who walked the earth over 2,000 years ago, the same mighty God in Jesus that had power over sickness, that had power over disease, that had power over nature, that had power over sin, that had power over demons, that had power over death itself is the same Jesus that is sitting on the throne today. It's the same Jesus that is ruling and reigning on high, that will never taste death again. It's the same Jesus that is, that is still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's the same Jesus who is still just as powerful then as he is now. Nothing has changed. And the same mighty God that walked the earth then is the same mighty God that wants to make a move in your life today. And so how do we experience the mighty God? How do we experience his power? I want to give you three ways that I believe that he wants you to experience his power, that he wants you to know him as the mighty God. Today, if you're taking notes, the first way is he wants to be all-powerful in you. The first place that we experience God's power in our lives, that we experience Jesus as the mighty God, is, is when we start by surrendering our lives to Jesus. When we stop trying to figure it out and do it on our own, and we surrender our lives to Jesus, we, we give our lives to him, we repent from our sins, we turn to him, and we experience his life change. Can I tell you something? There is not a greater miracle uh, of Jesus' mighty power in our lives that when people who are spiritually dead find spiritual life because they had an encounter with the mighty God. When I think of, of this room and I think about our church family here that's been here for a little over a year and I think about the miracles and I look through the room even during first service and I'm looking and, I, and I'm, I'm looking at people who and, and knowing your stories and, and remembering when you were getting baptized and seeing what God has done in your life and how he has changed you and how he has done a, a miraculous work that only could have been accomplished by the mighty hand of God, the mighty power of God. There was nothing you could do to change your situation but it was God doing a work in you. When I think about that, when I, I think I look around and I see a room that is full of walking, talking testimonies of God's power. When you think about the, the, what it takes for, for, for somebody to change, for somebody to experience new life, for somebody to experience that spiritual heart transplant. There's nothing they could do to change it, but, but a work of God as the mighty God coming into our lives and doing a work that we could never do in and of our own power. He is the mighty God and he wants to be all powerful in you. The Bible says in, in Philippians 2.13, it says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. In other words, there's times in our lives where we go, okay, I've surrendered my life to Jesus. I've, I've had that initial time where his power is at work in me. And we think, okay, well, then I got to just do it on my own from this point forward. I just got to figure it out, right? He did his work. He saved me. He changed me. Now I got to live in my own power. No, no, no. That's, that's not true. 
It's not this one-time situation where he wants us to experience his power in us. He wants us to experience his power in us every single day. You cannot live the life that God has called you to live in your own strength. You need an empowering of God in your life every single day. You need the mighty God. He says it is God who is working in you, giving you the power, the strength to do what pleases him. You don't wake up one morning and go, you know what, I think I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to live my life for him and I'm going to walk out of this sin and I'm, I'm just going to do it in my own strength today. No, it's the work of God in your life, the mighty God working in you. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's something that we need to rely on every single day. He wants to be mighty and all-powerful in your life. Number two, he doesn't want to only be powerful in your life. He wants to be powerful for you as well. There are times like the times we were talking about earlier, which are maybe what you're going through right now, where we need to experience the supernatural power of God. And we need to understand that not only is his power in us, but his powerful power is available for us as well. That in those moments of weakness, in those moments of feeling overwhelmed, that's when he and his strength is greatest. That we have to understand that he is for us, that he is fighting our battles for us, that he is powerful in our weaknesses. In Isaiah chapter 40, verses 29 and 31, it says, He gives power to the weak and he gives strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Our weaknesses and our limitations, they are perfect opportunities, opportunities for us to experience Jesus as the mighty God. They're perfect opportunities for you and I to experience the mighty God and his power in our lives and for our lives. His power is best recognized in our weaknesses. I love what Paul prays for followers of Christ in Ephesians chapter 1. He prays this prayer. He says, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. The same power, he says, that overcame death. The same power that was in Christ that raised him from the dead, he says, is available to you. It's for you. It's there for you. That same resurrection power of Jesus Christ. But how do you receive it? He says, you've got to trust him. He says, for those who believe, he says, trust in the Lord. When you trust in the Lord, you receive his strength. When you rely on the Lord and you stop relying on yourself, sometimes we just need to come to the end of our rope. And I think sometimes God allows situations in our life which bring us to the end of our rope. Like, why am I here, God? Why are you allowing this in my life? Because you've been trying to do it in your own power and you've been trying to do it in your own strength and you try and you fail and you try and you fail and sometimes he allows you to get to the end of your rope so you stop relying on yourselves and you start to, start to learn to rely on his power and his strength which is there not only in you but is there for you. It's in your weaknesses that he is strong. That's when you need him most. And some of us, we're at that place in our lives, we're at that place at the end of our rope, we don't know where to turn. And it's in this opportunity, this moment that God is, is wanting you to just trust him, to cling to him, to anchor into him so that you can experience his power, which is best seen in your weakness. He's all powerful in you and for you. And then lastly, he wants to be all powerful through you. 
Now, just as he wants you to experience his mighty power in your life on a daily basis, and just as he wants to show his power, that his power is for you in those areas where your weakness, in those relationships that are broken, in those areas where you feel like there is no hope, and he just miraculously comes through and he does a work that you could never do in and of yourselves, just like he wants to show you his power and that he is mighty God in those situations, he also wants his mighty power to be seen through your life as well. When people interact with you, when they see you, when they have a relationship with you, are they experiencing the mighty power of God in and through your life? In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. His power is not made to just be hoarded inside of us. It's made to be seen through us so that people who are lost can find Jesus through our lives as well. We don't save anybody. His power is just seen through us and hopefully opens their hearts to receive what he wants us to receive. This word power that is there, it's a a word that's used around 57 times throughout the New Testament. It's the word dunamis. It's a Greek word and it's the word that we use to get the word dynamite. It says you will receive dynamite power when the Holy Spirit comes in your life. When you are filled with power. That power that should overflow from you is dynamic power. There should be something that is drastically different about your life. The one thing I see all throughout scripture is that God uses ordinary people, regular people, average people. And he does a touch in their life, a work in their life where they experience his mighty power in their lives. And he uses ordinary people who have been filled with the spirit, who have have experienced an extraordinary power. And he does amazing things through their lives. Say, I don't have what it takes, I'm not talented enough, I'm not gifted enough. It doesn't really matter because it's not about you anyway. You're just a vessel. When you experience his power, he wants that power to flow out of you and through you, not just in you, but to go through you. Before we move on, I want to share one more scripture with you. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, it says this. It says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us. To accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Jesus Christ through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Love that verse. It says God wants to do immeasurably more in your life and through your life than anything you can imagine. Than any dream you can even have. Just think about the people in your life that you've prayed for that God would work in their life. That person that is lost that you've been praying that God would do a work in your life. The dreams that you have for being used by God and, and, the, and, and your, your heart's desire to be used by God. Think about all those things. The Bible says that God, his dreams are greater than your dreams for yourself. That he can do immeasurably more than anything that you hope, dream, or imagine. Not according to your power, but according to his power that's at work in you. And I just want to ask you before we move on is... I mean, what would our lives look like if we actually lived our lives like we believe that? If we actually lived our lives like we actually believe Jesus' words there? How much different would our lives look if we lived our lives as we believe that God's power was in us? 
that his transforming power was in our lives the moment we surrendered our hearts to him, but that his power is in our lives every single day as we surrender our lives to him, as we die to ourselves and we are alive to Christ, that his power is there to help us to walk the life that he has called us to live, that he has given, everything, given us everything we need to live a life of godliness. His power is there. How much different would our lives look if we knew the dynamic power that was there? How much different would our lives look if we simply trusted him when our lives are falling apart and when things feel so broken that are beyond our repair, but we understood that the mighty God, God in flesh, the, the one who had power over sickness and death and everything else is the same power that is alive in us and for us and that we don't have to be afraid to go through anything in life because the power of God is there. How much different would our lives look if we understood that not only is his power in us and for us, but that it's made to be seen through us as well. And that everywhere we go, we go as representatives of Christ and that his power is there to touch other people's lives through our lives as well. How much different would it look if we lived our lives as we actually believe that? Because he wasn't the mighty God then, he's the mighty God now. Nothing has changed. He's still all powerful in your life and he wants you to understand and experience his power in everything in your life. But not only is he a mighty, the mighty God, he's also, the Bible says, our everlasting father. And I'm not going to take as much time on this one, but I want us to take a little bit of time and speak and understand what it means that he has come to be our everlasting father. Now, I want to be really, really clear here that when it says that Jesus is our everlasting father, it's not saying that Jesus and the father are the same person. Like some people have used this verse specifically to teach this oneness theology, which essentially says that, that God is just a singular God and that he has become at different times different parts of the Trinity. So he's become the, the, the Son, he's become the Father, he's become the, the Holy Spirit at different times. And it's just God. No, the, the, the theme we see throughout Scripture, the idea we see throughout Scripture is that, that God is three in one. That it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working in perfect unity together. And that there's not different parts. And so what it's saying here is not saying that, that Jesus became the Father, that Jesus is going to become the Father. But it's saying that Jesus is like the the Father, that when you look at Jesus and you see the way he loves and you see the way that he cares, you see the fathering heart of the Father through the way that he lived his life. We looked at it earlier and said he is the radiance of God's glory. He is the, the visible image of the invisible God. When you see him, you see God's nature. And when we look at Jesus, we see the perfect nature of our perfect heavenly Father forever. He's the perfect, everlasting Father. In John 5, 19, Jesus said these words. He said, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does also. So when we look at the Messiah, when we look at Jesus, when we look at his heart, we see the heart of God. We see the fathering heart of God. Now for many of us, when we talk about God as Father, it's, it's a little bit difficult at times. There's... There's times where we bring our understanding of Father, or we bring our thoughts of a Father into this conversation, and, and it kind of clouds our understanding of who Jesus has come to be as a Father. Whether you have a good relationship with your dad or not, like I'll be honest with you, I have a great relationship with my dad. I've had a great relationship with him my whole life. I know he's always somebody that I could talk to that was there praying for me. I know that he loved Jesus. He served the Lord. I know that he loved my brother and I, and he, and he loved my mom. I know that he is a man of God, and he's a, a good reflection of the character of God. He's not perfect, just in case you're wondering. He's not, he's not perfect. Uh, he's made, and I could spend a lot of time talking about the different mistakes he's made and the failures that he's had as well, and he would admit those things too. He's not perfect, but he was a good dad. But the truth is some of you maybe didn't have that great relationship with your dad. You had a dad who maybe was a little bit more absent or, or maybe didn't care. Maybe he was never in the picture at all. 
all or maybe he was just harsh and, and you felt like you could never live up to his expectations or, or many other things that, that often ha- happens. And what ends up happening is we hear in God's word that, that Jesus is the everlasting father or that God is our, our heavenly father. When we hear those, it kind of clouds our understanding of who Jesus is because we automatically think of our earthly fathers who were sinful. Even if they were good, they're still sinful and, and fallen. And we start to think that God is the same way. And so we have to understand that Jesus is not like our earthly fathers, even if they were good, he is perfect. He's our perfect everlasting father. He paints a perfect picture of who God is and how God loves us and how God wants to have a relationship with us. So I want to look at one portion of scripture as we close today. It's found in Luke chapter 15. It's a scripture that I feel really reveals the heart of the Father to us. It's a scripture and a parable that maybe you're familiar with, but Jesus tells this story. And so we're going to read a, a little bit of a significant portion of Luke 15, and then we're going to talk as we close quickly about the heart of our Father. So Luke 15, verses 11 through 24 says this. He says, to illustrate this point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, just so you understand what is going on at that time, when a father died, he would give that inheritance to the children, right? And so what this younger son is saying at that point is he's looking at his dad and he's saying, listen, I wish you were dead. How many of you have had kids that have said things to you like, I hate you in your life and it just hurts? Like your kids say something and it just hurts. Even though they're angry or frustrated, they say something in their anger and it just hurts. Essentially, this son is looking at his father and he says, listen, I wish you were dead. All I care about is the money that's coming to me when you die. So I'd rather get the money now. I'd rather enjoy life now, live it up to the fullness because I don't know how long it's going to take for you to kick the bucket. So I'd rather just have the money right now and go on and enjoy my life. I don't want anything to do with you. I just want the money. So what does the father do? The Bible says the father agrees to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, the younger son, he packed all of his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. It went from bad to really, really bad. He's in a faraway place. He doesn't know anybody. He's got no money left. Famine hits. It's an emergency. He's hitting rock bottom in his life. The people who are hearing this story in the first century, the first century Jews is like, yeah, this is exactly what he deserves. This is exactly what he should get for how he treated his father. It says, about the time his money ran out, that famine happened, he pursued a, a local farmer to hire him, and the man went, uh, sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. Now, for the Jewish people, the pigs were like the lowest of low, the most dirty animals. And so here this Jewish boy is, and he is now in the lowest point of his life, and he's working with pigs. His life has hit rock bottom. It's so bad, he says, that the young man became so hungry that and even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. He was looking at them eating their food and he was like, I could go for some of that pig food. I don't know about you, but I've never been in that type of desperate situation where, where like garbage looked good to eat. And this is where he's at, rock bottom. And it's in that moment of, of hitting rock bottom. It's in that moment of desperation. It's in that moment where he understood that he has completely wrecked his life that he comes to his senses, the Bible says. So when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and I will say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Just please take me on as a hired servant. And so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming and filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. 
His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But the father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with the feast for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. And there's so much that I think we can learn in this story about the heart of the father and how Jesus has come to be our everlasting father. But I want to quickly point out three things in this story. And the first one is this, our everlasting father, Jesus, our everlasting father, he's a compassionate father. And the story says this father, it saw his son a long way off. It saw, he saw him a long way off as he was walking in the distance, which to me paints this picture that the father was waiting that the father was looking down the street every single day. Maybe he went out to the end of his, his property and he just looked down the street. And he was just waiting for his son to return. And when he saw him off in the distance, he knew it was his son. It says he was filled with compassion and love. That he ran to his son. The son that told him, I wish you were dead. He ran to this son. In order to run at that, like Jewish men, fathers, the, the, the patriarchs, they didn't run. That was embarrassing. They wore, we talked about this a couple weeks, they wore kind of like an outer robe, longer kind of dressed like, like they, it was hard to run in that. So to run, it would be like pulling up his, his dress a little bit so his legs could go free, right? But he runs, he, he humbles himself to, to chase after his son who, is, who has abandoned him, who has is, who is basically told him, I wish you were dead. And he chases to his son, filled with compassion, painting a picture of the way that God loves and pursues us. He's filled with compassion for us. The Bible says in Psalms 103, verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. He is slow to get angry and he is filled with unfailing love. The father is a compassionate father. Number two, he's a father who doesn't give up on you. He's a father who doesn't give up on you. This father, again, he waited and watched day after day for his son to return. Where other fathers probably would have lost patience, where other fathers, maybe his neighbors would have been like, why are you waiting for this son? He's a terrible son. You should have kicked him out earlier and you should have never gave him the money. He's a terrible son. You should never have anything to do with him again. He's abandoned you. He's treated you terribly. No, this father waits patiently, hoping, praying that his son would walk down that street, will walk down that path because he's a perfect father who never gave up on him. I want you to, to understand the fathering heart of the everlasting father when you think about that. Some of you think that God has lost his patience with you, that he doesn't care about you. The Bible says that he is patient. In 2 Peter 3.9 it says the Lord isn't really being slow about his promises as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. When you understand the heart of God, you understand that it's not his desire that any should perish, that any should go to hell, that any should be separated. He wants to give you every chance to turn and, and repent, to go away from your sins and to return to the Father because his desire is that none would perish, but that all would experience real life. He's patient with us. He never gives up on us. And then the last characteristic about the Father that I want us to see is that he's a Father who forgives and restores what I love about this story is when the son comes back, and I want you to just get this kind of mental picture. He's expecting to be treated like an outsider. Like you heard his speech. I'm just going to go back to my dad, and this is what I'm going to say. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Just treat me as one of your servants. Just at least let me be one of your slaves. I'm not good enough to be your son anymore. And I can imagine he's just recited this over and over to himself. And as he's walking back to his dad, his head is down. 
And he's feeling the weight of the guilt and shame and he's feeling the weight of all of the mistake he's done and how he's, how he's not loved his dad well and all these other things and he's just feeling the weight and maybe he's just repeating that over and over to himself as he's practicing what he's gonna say to his dad. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Let me just be a slave. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I, I don't know what I can do to make up for what I've done, but I, at least I can be your slave. And he's just going through this and he's feeling the weight of all of that. And he, and he gets up to his father and his father you know, is there and he's just going over a speech and he just starts sharing, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your, your son. Let me one of your servants. And, and his father doesn't even let him get through his whole speech, right? He gets to the, I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. And what does the father do? He's like, he's like shut up. I don't, I don't care about your speech. He stops him before he even gets to the end of it and he calls all the other servants and he's like, get over here, go get the best robe, the finest robe we have in the house. Go get the ring, a brand new ring which signified sonship. Go get that ring, a brand new ring, put it on his finger. Go get, his feet are filthy. He doesn't even have his sandals anymore. Go get him brand new sandals for his feet. Let's clothe him. This son of mine does not look like my son. I want him to be my son again. He brings him right back into the family. He says, that calf, that calf that we've been fattening up, that calf that we've been, that we've been preparing, this this is the moment we've been preparing this. This is the reason we've been preparing the calf. Go kill it. We're going to have a feast because this son of mine that was gone is now returned. He was dead and he is now back where he belongs. I think about the heart of the father and that, and that there's times in our lives and maybe you've, you've been here as well. I, I've grown up in church literally my whole life. Like we lived in the church building for a time. That's how long I've been in church. My dad was a pastor my entire life and I'll tell you there's many times in my, in my faith journey where I've where I felt like I've left God down. How many of you have ever been there before where you just felt like you let Father down? Where you failed and you sinned and you went back to something that you know he's forgiven you from and you just feel the weight of that guilt and that condemnation, feeling like you've messed up again and there's no chance that God is gonna forgive you. Like I'm just gonna, or I'm gonna get to God and I'm gonna have to earn it back. I'm gonna have to get back into right standing. I'm gonna have to, I just need to read my Bible more and I just need to pray better and I just need to go through all of these religious hoops and all these things I gotta jump through so I can get back into God's standing. And we think that's how our Father works. But we see the Father in the heart of God in this story is, is when we turn to Him, He runs to us. And we turn to Him and He's so quick to forgive us and to restore us. And He loves us. And I think so many times we get caught up in all of our thoughts and all the things we bring in that we forget that God is slow to anger. That he loves us, he cares about us, that he desires to restore us, to redeem us, to bring us back in that family. That when we are, are feeling the weight of, of condemnation, which we feel at times, when we begin to identify ourselves with our sins, I'm just a failure. And that's the voice we hear all the time. I'm just a failure. I'm just a sinner. I'm never going to get this right. I'm never going to be who God has called me to be. And we listen to that voice. That's the voice of the enemy who tries to constantly identify us as our sin. But the voice of our Savior, the voice of conviction, is not a voice identifying us as our sin, but it's a voice who knows every sin but still calls us by name. He still calls us son. He still calls us daughter. And he invites us back into presence. And that conviction is not to make us feel weighed down by our guilt, but that conviction is ultimately to just draw us back to the Father's heart. Because he's a father who loves us, who is eager to restore us, who is eager to forgive us. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our wickedness. Would you stand with me as we close today? We're going to take a moment as we close today just to worship. But would you do me a favor really quick? And would you just close your eyes for a moment? I, I just want you to just to just listen to my voice for just a moment as we close. Our, our, our heart's desire throughout this series is that you would begin to see 
Jesus for who he really is. But that these words would not just be words, that you wouldn't just understand more about Jesus, but that you would begin to experience Jesus the way that he has come for you to experience him. That he wants to be your wonderful counselor. He wants you to know that he is here always, that he never leaves you nor forsakes you. He wants to be mighty in your life. The same God who started your faith is going to be faithful to finish the work in your life. He didn't save you and leave you to figure it out on your own. He saved you and he walks with you and lives in you and gives you the power that you need. He's the mighty God. And some of you in here today, you might know all about God. You might have heard about the mighty God. You might have even seen the mighty God at work in other people's lives. But today you need to experience the mighty power of God in your own life. You need to experience that he is mighty in you and for you and he wants to be mighty through you. And you can't rely on the, the power that other people have experienced. You need to experience it yourself. Stop going through the religious motions. Stop doing all the religious things and simply surrender your heart to Jesus and receive from him what only he can give you. Maybe that's not you today. Maybe you're here today and when you hear that he is everlasting father, it just, it strikes a negative nerve. You don't understand. Maybe you've always thought of God as a father and you thought he was mean and distant and unloving and quick to anger and not quick to forgive you and love you and you need to understand the heart of God today. And when you see Jesus, you see the heart of the Father, that he's compassionate towards you. So many times you read through scripture and it says, Jesus looked at the crowds and he was filled with compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. You need to feel the compassionate heart of your Father today. You need to feel and understand that he's not giving up on you, that if you're still here and you're still breathing, that God's not done with you. You need to understand that he is quick to forgive, to restore. When we turn to him, we don't have to turn and walk this long path back to him, but when we turn to him, he runs to us. He's right there, ready to forgive, restore, to redeem. And maybe you're in here today and you know all about Jesus, but you never experienced Jesus. And today, today he is calling out to you. You know it in your heart right now that today is the day that you need to surrender your heart to Jesus. You need to give him your sins. You need to give him your past. You need to give him your failures, your mistakes, and everything else. You need to understand that, that nothing that you have done is too big for his forgiveness. So if that is you today, and you would say today you need to experience his power, you need to experience his love, you need to experience his forgiveness, would you just raise your hand right now so I know I'm praying with you as we close. I see that hand over there. Is there anybody else today? I see many hands over this room right now. Anybody else today? I see that hand back there as well. I want to encourage you today. Listen, we celebrate with you. We celebrate that because God is the only one who can do that type of miracle in your lives today. As we close in prayer in just a moment, I want to encourage you in your own words to just spend some time with God. There's no magical prayer you pray. You don't have to speak in the King James for God to understand you and hear you. He hears your heart. In your own words, simply confess your sins, receive His forgiveness. Understand that he says you are a new creation in him, that the old you is dead and gone, that the new you is here. I would encourage you, if you're making that decision today, which many of you did, before you leave this place today, make sure you, you fill out one of those connection cards. Let us know that you're making that decision so we can give you some resources, so we can pray with you, so we can continue to walk with you as you begin this journey as a follower of Christ. Maybe you're in here today and you didn't raise your hand. You would say you know, you know Jesus, but if you're honest with yourselves, you're, you're living in your own strength, living in your own power. You've turned back to some things in your life. You've gone down a path that you know you shouldn't gone. And you feel the weight of the guilt and the shame for that. 
And maybe today you, you stop allowing yourself to be defined by the, the guilt and the shame and you simply surrender back to Jesus, understanding that he is quick to forgive, that he is slow to anger, that he loves you, he has never left you. Maybe that means coming up to the altar and spending some time. Maybe it means simply lifting your hands to God and surrender as we close today. Whatever God is calling you to do in this moment, to confess to him, to, to connect with him, to experience his presence in your life, I wanna just encourage you to do that as we close today. So Father, as we close in worship today, God, we're so grateful for who you came to be. That it's not just about knowing these attributes of you, but God, you want us to experience them for ourselves. God, you want to be mighty in our lives. You want us to experience your mighty power that is for us and that is meant to be experienced and live through us. God, you want us to know you as a perfect father who forgives, redeems, restores, is filled with compassion, is patient with us. So God, I pray today that we would understand your heart, that we would understand your promises, that we would surrender our hearts to you and we would be who you've called us to be. God, thank you for doing a work in our lives that only you could do. Thank you that that the moment we turn our lives to you, we've experienced your mighty power, your supernatural power in our lives because you've done for us what we could never do for ourselves, taking us from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. New creations in you. We thank you for what you have done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.